Ethereum is a Rube Goldberg machine. Welcome to Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 250. As always, you can find this um, on uh, in your inbox if you go to jimmysong.substack.com and you can subscribe. You get this uh, uh, newsletter every Monday at 9 a.m. And hopefully that's something that you might want to do. So Ethereum is a Rube Goldberg machine. Ethereum Twitter was in an uproar this week because the ETH hashtag appended an Ethiopian flag instead of the Ethereum symbol. This is most likely to allow tagging of Olympic results in a way that's more engaging, but never mind that. To Ethereum enthusiasts, whom I call F-heads, this was a travesty of justice. After all, the Bitcoin and BTC tags both append a Bitcoin symbol, so why are they being discriminated against? What was interesting to me was that they saw this as a huge blow to their brand. They were less uh, important than the country of Ethiopia and felt like Jack Dorsey was personally insulting them. This is all the more interesting because there are lots of other issues going on in Ethereum right now. There's the MEV stuff because of their pending move to proof of stake. There's a large number of scams on DeFi. NFT winter is pretty much here. And of course, Ethereum 2.0 is delayed again. Notice that these, are all, uh, these issues are all related to the completely centralized nature of Ethereum. Their central committee has been determined to destroy minor revenue through a move to proof of stake. They have been promoting DeFi and NFTs for two years and have been planning and mostly failing to execute Ethereum 2.0 for three years now. They are, however narratives around which hype in Ethereum continues. The technical merits are questionable at best, but the speculative frenzy is not. Ethereum has always been and continues to be a Rube Goldberg machine. The complexity of the machine was always meant to dazzle us into missing what that machine actually does. The point wasn't to complete some tasks, but to get people to buy the token. Which brings us back to the ETH tag controversy. So the reason so many F heads are so upset is because they recognize the harm to their brand. An F tag that showed the Ethereum logo would be a major boost to their marketing efforts. They would be able to claim some level of tacit endorsement by a major tech company. Instead, what they get is a tacit disapproval of their complete nothing burger of a currency. Still, they continue to market the heck out of their features, which lacking substance, they certainly need. Notice that every contract on Ethereum can more or less be run on Ethereum Classic, Binance Chain, and others without any modification. The only reason people continue to be on Ethereum is because of the heavy marketing they put in to get new suckers. And there's always great opportunity to make money when there's a lot of suckers in one place. In a way, Ethereum has become a test of investment philosophy. How much do you care about what you're buying and how much do you care about how other people perceive what you're buying? For the sake of civilization, I hope more people start focusing on the fundamentals instead of the hype. And this is something that's been kind of sad to watch for me uh, with respect to Ethereum is that so many people do focus just on whether or not other people are buying. And the justifications are extremely flimsy and very few people actually look into them. 
Um, but you know, those, those justifications are good enough, uh, to ignite the speculative frenzy that comes every once in a while. And we've seen this happen with DeFi, NFT, ICOs, and IEOs, and many other things that have happened on Ethereum. And this is a, a perpetual thing that they keep doing, is that they, they uh, hype something up and make it seem like it's the next big thing. And then when the hype dies down, nobody cares to remember what actually happened. Um, and I think it's actually decivilizing. It makes... Um, uh, you know, investment, a game of, uh, you know, a Keynesian beauty contest, more or less, instead of making it a uh, civilization building. Uh, if you invest in things because of their merit, then you're going to create goods and services that people actually want. If you're, um, quote unquote, investing as speculation, uh, just because other people are going into it, then the capital isn't being allocated properly. It's, uh, it's just going towards whatever happens to be going up. This is one of the evils of fiat money is that it encourages this sort of behavior, especially when inflation comes. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin a little bit. An amusing post by B10C shows how pay to taproot outputs are actually spendable because uh, taproot hasn't activated yet and nodes are not enforcing those rules. It's great that someone is testing pay to taproot addresses and so on, but you should really use Signet or until testnet activation to do so, lest you lose your money, lose the money locked to those addresses. The post goes into how SegWit works in general, which is useful as an upgrade guide. Taproot is SegWit v1. So apparently um, people are testing pay to taproot, except the additional validation needed um, isn't being enforced by the nodes yet until you know mid-November or so. Um, so until then, it's kind of kind of you're you're basically uh, making it possible for any miner to just take your money, which uh, apparently they have. Chaincode has a seminar program for those that want to learn Bitcoin and Lightning protocol development. This looks like a fantastic program to learn to become a developer with weekly readings and studies, which include some of the stuff I've written and presented. I suspect companies are chomping at the bit to hire anyone that's gone through this program as it's intense and thorough. It is very intense, and I think it's like a 12-week program um, six weeks on uh, Bitcoin Core and six weeks on Lightning. Uh, lots of reading, lots of intense study uh, for the self-started. I totally recommend this. Um, it isn't easy though. And I, I suspect you're going to have to read my book first before you, uh, you get into it as the topics tend to be fairly heavy. Brink has given more developer grants. Congrats to Larry Ruane and Sebastian Falbisoner. Uh, their PR reviews and co-contributions will surely continue to help Bitcoin and its security. So uh, Brink uh, continues to develop uh, to fund a lot of developers. Um, that, that's an organization started by John Newberry. I think uh, Mike Schmidt and um, uh, is involved as well. Uh, but, but yeah, this is, oh, David Harding also is involved. Uh, but this is an amazing, uh, you know, way to support Bitcoin development. I believe they are uh, a nonprofit. So if you donate to them, it might be tax deductible in certain jurisdictions and so on. They are based out of London. Great stuff. Lightning. Blockstream has announced a Lightning node hosting service called Greenlight. This is a service to make running a Lightning node as easy as possible, yet uh, still not hold user keys. Users will still hold their own keys on their own device and will communicate with the service to sign various transactions. 
This looks to me like the AWS of the Lightning Network Web 3.0 structure, structure where apps can now be built and scaled appropriately. Great initiative to help people onboarding, uh, people onboard to Lightning. So um, something I didn't mention that you can read in the blog post is that they are uh, you know, using it for a couple of services like Sphinx Chat and so on. It really is sort of like the beginning of Web 3.0 that's actually decentralized and uh, not around wall gardens and so on. Aaron Malone shares how to run a Lightning node profitably. The main takeaways from the article are that peers matter more than channel size. Rebalancing is appropriate only when there's flow both ways, and now is a good time to experiment with routing fees. The practical realities of running a Lightning node are still a bit difficult to manage, but Plebnet and articles like this are helping many people get on. Um, and of course, uh, you know, Blockstream's new service, Greenlight, will help too. Um, but yeah, the Lightning network is growing really, really fast, and uh, you can kind of see it in um, in the in the capac channel capacity and so on, which we'll cover in the next story. Uh, but yeah, practical articles like this about you know what what you should care about uh, from the people that are actually running Lightning nodes is an important part of um, getting people to understand uh, what they're getting into. Ryan Gentry writes his always informative Lightning Labs newsletter. As he points out, the increase in network capacity has been exponential recently. Similar increases are happening in the podcast space with more podcasts enabling Lightning to receive payment. The general trend is that everything on Lightning is starting to ramp up in what he calls the flywheel effect. The last four years of work on Lightning seems to be really paying off now. Um, and this is, this is something uh, I, I, I saw this morning that now there's more than 2000 Bitcoin capacity on the Lightning Network. Um, and technology tends to be like this. It's, it, it's not like uh, the, uh, the curve of an altcoin, which uh, spikes very early and then peters off for a long time. It's just, uh, you know, for actual technology, it tends to be a pretty slow run up and then sort of exponential growth. Uh, we seem to be hitting the sweet part of the curve for Lightning. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's a lot of companies that, uh, you know, would love investment, uh, additional investment and so on. Um, but, you know, th this is uh, what they've been working on. It, it, it's uh, getting um, the infrastructure ready uh, for what I think is going to be an amazing Web 3.0 experience. Economics, engineering, et cetera. Alex Gladstein argues that Bitcoin can bring freedom to Palestine. The article is a great history lesson on how the Gaza Strip came to be, and more importantly, what's caused the unbelievable poverty. Alex points out that most of what's going wrong there is because of the economic policy set out by the international community and the leaders of Palestine. Between incredibly unfair trade policies with their neighbors and corruption of officials, they've essentially become almost entirely dependent on international aid. What's amazing is that Bitcoin is starting to alleviate their pain by allowing some of the many their money, many unemployed to earn money doing jobs over the internet. Truly eye-opening article and worth reading in full. Um, so yeah, I, I, the more I learn about uh, you know foreign policy, international politics, and and so on, uh, you know, the more I'm convinced a lot of it just comes down to money. Uh, and you know, I, ideologues on all sides uh, tend to need money uh, for one reason or another, and. There's a lot of monetary oppression going on country to country, not just uh, country to its citizens, which unfortunately has been, uh, you know, uh, 
prevalent, uh, but not very well politicized or publicized. Um, Alex, I think, is doing a great job of doing that more recently uh, with his pieces. So worth reading in full. Stefan Levera makes the case against fiat money. This is published on Yahoo Finance Australia and is meant for normies that don't know what fiat money even means. He gives a great argument for looking at economics from an Austrian perspective and argues for Bitcoin near the end. Good article to send your to send to your normie friends that don't know where to get started. Um, so Stefan Levera um, does a great job. He he's uh, he's definitely an Austrian economist and knows what he's talking about in that regard. And uh, and this is an article to sort of introduce people to the idea of fiat money and putting Bitcoin in contrast to that. I I, I found it, that to be a very effective way to introduce people to Bitcoin because it shows you the problem and then the solution instead of, hey, here's this new technical thing. What can it do? And then, you know, people don't really understand the problem it's solving. Pete Rizzo writes amusingly about the disappointment that was the B word. I share his opinion that this was an event almost entirely dedicated to shutting up the loose nihilistic canon that is Elon Musk. As he points out, Elon is at the stage of Bitcoin discovery where he can only think about it as a technology and not a money. He'll come around, I think, but I'm not sure we'll like it when he does. Um, so what I mean by that is that he he really does tend to have this um, sort of like, uh, you know, streak where he, he just wants to amuse himself and he's not doing it, doing anything to uh, really you know, help civilization necessarily. I, I, I suspect that a lot of what he, he's building, he's building for himself, which, which can be good or whatever. Uh, but when it comes to his sort of economic beliefs, um, I think he's going to try to impose his economic beliefs on Bitcoin um, in typical fashion, as a lot of people do uh, when they learn about it. I just heard about Bitcoin. I'm here to fix it. I, I think that's what he's going to attempt to do once he really understands that it's money. Um, if you think we, we've heard the last from Elon Musk, I, I really don't think that's it. Where he's, go he's going to be talking about this a long time and it will become an obsession for him, I think. Nick Ward makes an interesting comparison between fantasy football and Bitcoin. As he says, there is tremendous upside to Bitcoin, much like drafting late round running backs. Of course, for me, I see Bitcoin as more like the first round wide receiver in that it's the safest thing in my portfolio. Uh, Bitcoin really does defy categories and, and can play multiple positions on your team. Um, and that that's that's the key, is that for some people, it's going to be the risky investment um, at the very bottom of their portfolio with high upside. Uh, for other people like me, this is the safe investment uh, that I keep um, you know a lot of my money in because it's uh, it's for me like, uh, you know, much, uh, much safer than almost anything else. Uh, it's not like if you use the US dollar as a baseline, um, then of course, it's going to seem risky. But for me, it's 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 safer. And it's going to have different roles for different people. And I think it changes as you uh, as you stay in Bitcoin and uh, understand Bitcoin. Doug from BitStop looks to Bitcoin for hope in Cuba. Doug has relatives back there, and this is a personal article for him. He thinks this is a country right for Bitcoin adoption at the street level. They certainly seem thirsty for freedom, and we're finding that technology is helping to get, uh, helping them to get that. Let's hope that Bitcoin starts changing things geopolitically. And this is certainly seeming to be the case because a, a, a lot of 
the suffering in a lot of these countries is uh, due to international embargoes or blockades or sanctions, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a lack of trade or lack of economic activity between countries that causes all, all sorts of shortages and suffering and things of that nature. Now, this can be imposed from the outside, uh, as in the case of uh, Cuba, Iran, North Korea, or whatever, or it can be imposed from the inside. Um, you know, like a, a lot of countries just don't allow imports of certain things or, and so on. Um, so, you know, the, it, it is very um, interesting because Cuba, I think, does a little bit of both. Um, they, they don't allow certain trade of uh, certain imports of certain things because they're more or less a communist country. Um, but they do, uh, but the international community, or, or I mean, more or less the dollar hegemony um, prevents Cuba from receiving certain things. So we, uh, we, we have an interesting situation uh, where Bitcoin is going to start changing things there um, and hopefully for the better. Quick hit, StoreChain get, uh, gets drained for another 8 million. Um, the, the message, by the way, that the hacker wrote or the person that drained it uh, wrote uh, is like, you got to finish your audit. This, uh, like, th this is like a nine digit project and you're, you're like, you know, playing with it. It's, you know, I, I wrote the ThorChain Eric Voorhees article last week and then this happens again. I, I, like they, they are looking pretty terrible at this point. Uh, BSV's pitiful hash rate is about to go lower. Um, this is because Binance is going to shut down their BSV pool. Regulators are noticing that a lot of DeFi projects are scams. Uh, so regulation is probably coming to the DeFi space, uh, largely because of all the, you know, the abundant scams that are coming into that space. Um, I suspect that they'll try, I, I, like if they were smart, they would probably, uh, you know, like, go um, attack their single point of failure, which is, you know, the Ethereum development team and, or, or you know, Infura or something to make sure that these can be reversed or something. Liquid has an exchange built on it now. Um, so they have, uh, you know, it, it's a federated side chain. So they, there's now like essentially a federated exchange where you can do quick exchanges one to another uh, which should be very interesting. Twitter looks to integrate Bitcoin uh, as is Amazon. So they're, they're both uh, kind of looking at it. Uh, Amazon is rumored to maybe integrate Bitcoin um, in the next year on their website. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they hold Bitcoin. Uh, I think that that will be the bigger um indicator of adoption is whether or not they're actually holding it or just you know like doing it for uh the publicity or something i will be at the bitcoin standard conference on august 12th to 14th in ensenada mexico bitblock boom in dallas august 26th to 29th token 2049 in london england on october 8th and 9th at tabconf in atlanta Georgia, November 4th and uh, 4th through 6th. So those are the next four conferences I'll be at. Um, you know, I'm, I, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm getting back to the normal schedule post COVID, hopefully, uh, where I do about once, uh, one uh, conference a month. Uh, the programming blockchain seminar is in Mexico, August 10th and 11th. If you want to learn uh, from me, um, uh, Bitcoin programming, this is the place to do it. It's a two day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin and you can apply and, uh, and I do have some scholarships available.
I'm also working on having seminars in London uh, during the conference. So maybe October 10th and 11th and uh, Atlanta right before the conference. So November 2nd and 3rd, something like that. Um, so I am looking for venues. It will probably be on, on the website fairly soon. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Carl Johan Alm about Bitcoin core development, how it's decentralized and the dynamics around that I read through. Uh, I also read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. Um, yeah, the conversation with uh, Callie was awesome. Um, he really uh, provided a lot of insights into what Bitcoin development is actually like. So hopefully you can listen to it. Talked about the moral argument for Bitcoin, why you should have lots of kids, and of course, the new book on the Bitcoin Standard podcast. So Safedine and I talked for an hour and a half about all that stuff. Hopefully you can enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, my other books are The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin, which you can find on Amazon. Unchained Capital is the sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchained.com. Fiat de Lenda Est, this song is done. <laughs>